Welcome to the FOI Equip podcast, your free resource for learning and engaging with the scriptures from a Jewish perspective. Hi, everybody. I'm Chris Katolka. You know, the scriptures tell the story of God's chosen people and his plan to bring salvation to the whole world through Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. Come see why it matters that God would choose an ancient people to bring a timeless hope to a lost and broken world. Now, listen, I want to encourage you to go to foiequip.org to sign up to be on our mailing list. You're going to receive vital information on how you can join our free live online FOI Equip classes. Now get ready. Join our expert staff on the FOI Equip podcast as we teach the scriptures, unravel the colorful world of Jewish culture and customs, reveal God's prophetic plan, and so much more. Now enjoy this teaching from FOI Equip. Well, I'm honored once again to welcome my dear friend, Tim Harrison, a specialist in hieroglyphics and Egyptian history. Do you know that? He's a hieroglyphics, okay? Uh, he's a specialist in church history. And he is a train buff, a train. Yeah, like, like locomotives, trains. He takes his family and they go camping but, or to a hotel that's a train car, okay? That's how serious they are. I love it. So, Tim, he's an awesome guy. Love being able to minister with Tim at Friends of Israel. Take it away. Chris, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to minister with you too. And it's so great to be back here tonight. And, uh, you know, it's always sad when we have to wrap up the series, but, uh, you know, it's it's been a great ride and it's been really uh, great getting to interact with all of you and, uh, and really just uh, sharing and going back and forth has been really good. And, and you've been a great, great audience, great class. And I've been really happy to see that. So, um, Chris, whenever you get a second, why don't you uh, uh, go ahead and bring up our first slide? All right, let's see. Is that the right one, Tim? Let me see. I don't see anything yet on my screen. I don't know if other people do. All right, hang on. See, this is why. Uh, that's well, what while I'm, he's doing that, I Dale, Dale I, I saw you, uh, Dale, I, real quick, I, I saw you mention that. So, yeah, yeah, I'm a train buff. Uh, and uh, we go, the place Chris was talking about was the Red Caboose Lodge. So, we can talk more about that later. <laughs> there we go all right yeah so yeah we're back in early uh, heroes of church history and uh tonight i want to talk to you just go right next to that next slide chris with our title on it and that is about fotini the woman who defied an emperor and uh right away you know i remember uh, steve uh, remarked last week that it sounds like a you know italian restaurant or some kind of pasta but nonetheless fotini is the name that we're dealing with tonight uh, a, a, a woman who is very brave, uh, very remarkable, and uh, as her title says, the woman who defied an emperor. Uh, but before we get into that, Chris, can you bring up the next slide? Because I really uh, want to do a little bit of housekeeping again. And I just want to talk for a moment about a phrase I used last week called comprehensive salvation. And uh, that took a few people by surprise. You know, what's it mean? What's all this about? And I have to say that, uh, not that I want to take credit for it because I've, I've heard a couple other speakers talk about it before, but it's really a term of convenience that I'm using to describe a salvation that's simply more than just being declared righteous. Thank God we are declared righteous. We have that, thank God, in a courtroom setting, uh, we have been declared righteous. We are now, uh, but where the comprehensive comes in is we're also new creations. That's a reality. It's not just a positional change. It's an actuality change. Christ is the new Adam. 
and as we become saved, we become cast in the image of that new Adam. So our salvation encompasses our entire being. It's not just a little part, but an entire being. So when we talk about comprehensive salvation, uh, when I talk about, that's what I mean. And this concept of salvation, uh, while again, you may not see it mentioned by name, was often talked about by early church fathers, with the idea that Christ was saving the entire human person. And it wasn't just about being declared righteous. So if you do a Google search for comprehensive salvation, you might be a little disappointed. But if you do a search for, you know, just what the early fathers taught about salvation, then you might find more of what you're looking for if you want to go down that route. And then finally, another important question, and Steve brought this up last week. And, and, and basically, to summarize this question, it was, when did things kind of go downhill for the church? Because, you know, we've been listening to the thoughts of uh, Alexander and Athanasius and Maximus, and they all sound pretty good. And it's, it's, uh, it's curious because we're like, well, wait a second. You know, if, if these guys were in the early church, you know, what in the world was Martin Luther rebelling against? So when did it go downhill? Uh, well, it's not a very cut and dry answer. Uh, firstly, what we have to remember is that Jesus Christ promised that the gates of hell were not going to prevail against the church. So he was always going to keep his church. He is the, the keeper and the guard, and the, the, he is the head of our church. And he wasn't going to let that just go downhill. Um, but why it's not so easy is because things like, first of all, what's important to understand is, is that there were divisions in the church that either slowed this down uh, or prevented it in some cases. And that really one of those things to look at is the division between East and West. And you've heard me mention these terms before, but I'll say it again. When I talk of West, I'm talking about the Western Roman Empire, which is basically anything West of Greece. When I talk about the East, that's the Eastern Roman Empire, Greece and Eastward. Now, if any of you know your history, you'll notice that it, you'll know that after the 400s AD, the Western Roman Empire started to fall apart and crumble. Finally, in 476, it basically just went away as barbarians came in and conquered and little parts of it broke off. And the, finally, the, the, the last Western Roman Emperor died in 476. But what we often forget is that the Eastern Roman Empire continued on for almost a thousand years after that. And at times, it was actually strong enough that it reincorporated parts of Western Empire back into it. But what's important to realize is as we have the breakdown of the West, of the Western Roman Empire, we have things like civilization breaking down and literacy, what little literacy there was, starts going downhill. Uh, and as you have this and you have decentralization of authority, bishops took a firmer hand, became more authoritarian. This is when the Pope the Bishop of Rome, that's all he was up to this point, was just a Bishop of Rome, started to take a stronger hand, started to become more authoritative in his churches. And basically, this is when you had priests in the Western Roman church being more of in-betweeners, going in between people and God. It's when you have more of that religion that we become uh, more familiar with, uh, more of what we see in our Roman Catholic friends as uh, we started to see th more things like uh, priests being able to absolve sins or not. Uh, we started seeing the importance of holy tradition over holy scripture. Whereas in the East, traditionally they maintained 
higher rates of literacy. You had more of the regular people reading the scriptures for themselves. So as a result, you have things like the East never went through a Reformation. There never was an Eastern Martin Luther who tacked theses to the door of Constantinople that said, hang on a minute. Okay, you got that in the West, but you didn't have that in the East. And one of the things is that the Eastern Church has never said that you could save yourself by works. They've always been very firm on that. Whereas, unfortunately, we see that works righteousness element creep into the Catholic Church and become full-blown by the time Martin Luther came on the scene. So that's a little breakdown of basically what happened. You had the empire splitting in half and the Western half basically becoming more illiterate, more decentralized, and you had to have the Roman popes and the Roman Catholic bishops basically step up their role and become more of a religious institution uh, than we're quite comfortable with. And unfortunately, leading to some really corrupt things during the Crusades and indulgences and all that sort of fun stuff that you can find about when you read the history about Martin Luther. So the answer, unfortunately, isn't so simple. And uh, uh, But basically, if you want to look for a benchmark, look for the fall of the Western Empire around 476. That's when things started to go downhill for the church in the West. So with that out of the way, Chris, why don't you go to our next slide? Excuse me for a moment as I take a sip of some very good coffee. So our historical setting with our Fotini is around the time of 50 AD. And as you can see, the Roman Empire was at full steam, covering all the Mediterranean world, reaching all the way up even to England. So the empire was massive. Um, uh, and it, it was basically, it was the world. It was the known world. And people look to it as a symbol of, of amazing power. And uh, Chris, if you could go to the next slide, please. So with that in mind, let's look at some of the historical settings. So near the middle of the first century, the church is definitely in its infancy. here. Um, but already, uh, as we can tell from writings from certain fathers, uh, has a high degree of unity and uniformity. So there really was a unity in that early church that we can see uh, that was that was uh, very uniform uh, and, again, was recorded. Um, this is not surprising when you think of how mostly Jewish souls started the church. Uh, and so we have that strong Jewish background in Jewish worship and Jewish liturgy that's unifying the early church. Um, but now, as we get into the 50s, it's starting to be supplemented by Gentiles who also begin to triple it. Uh, so, um, and going into the demographics, a lot of these Gentiles who begin to trickle in are women and slaves. As a matter of fact, uh, as we progress in time, women and slaves made up a huge number of the demographics in the early church. And there was a good reason for this, and that was because for the first time, there was a movement that was telling them that they weren't just only worthwhile, but they were equals in Christ. And this is really important because I, I think a lot of times uh, revisionist historians, uh, people who aren't really that serious about history, and unfortunately, some of our liberal friends tend to look back at paganism as an enlightened period and say, oh, back then, 
uh, everything was fine. Everything was equal. Uh, there were equal rights for women and uh, women were really elevated. And it was the Christians who basically ruined everything when the truth is actually quite the opposite. Uh, in fact, uh, women and slaves in the pagan world were viewed at, as property. Uh, women actually had it even a little bit worse off. Uh, as a matter of fact, the Greeks, especially under Aristotle, taught that women were actually birth defects, that all fetuses naturally wanted to be male, but that there was a birth defect that happened that made them female. So ancient pagans did not hold women in high regard. There wasn't some utopian society where there was equality here. Uh, when uh, Judaism came along, it, did, it definitely did a bit better than its pagan friends. Um, what's interesting, though, is, uh, is that uh, as you look at Second Temple period worship, the women still had to remain outside uh, of the temple area uh, in the women's court area, where basically they would simply talk to pass the time. Uh, interestingly enough, this is basically what Paul's addressing, the Apostle Paul, by the way, when he talks about let all the women sit in silence in the church. It wasn't, he, we, we take that as a, a Paul being odd and telling women to shut up. But basically, no, what Paul was saying was, no, women don't need to be out in the courts talking. They can come in and learn in silence along with the men who are also supposed to learn in silence. So Christianity was installing, uh, uh, instilling a sense of worthwhileness and equality in women and in slaves. Now, what is interesting is that, that at this time, really, uh, and it was in its last days, but up to this time, the church was viewed as just another sect of Judaism. Uh, and this was, for the most part, why up until this time, the, the Romans had left it alone. Romans were very hostile to new, to new religions. Uh, they were very suspicious of new religions, and they you know, viewed it as a, a possible chance for rebellion. And so they didn't like the idea of new religions. But when Christianity came along, they just figured it was just another sect of Judaism. So at first, they let it alone. That would change, however, soon with the ascension of one Nero to the position of Caesar. Chris, if we could have our next slide. But well, let's talk about our hero here for a minute. And you notice I didn't put up a picture. Well, what's the deal with that? Because usually I've been putting up pictures. I have to tell you, up to this point, Chris, I was trying to figure out who in the world I was going to get for our Fotini of Sidecar. Like, who can we get? I just couldn't come up with a person. And, then I, and so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to invoke a little-known seldom-used reserve activation clause and just say, uh, uh, Faith, could you turn your camera on just a minute and wave? Let's see if she does. There she is. There's our Fotini for the night. So, Faith, you're promoted to lead actress in our movie here. <laughs> Thank you, Faith. Our Fotini became a believer as an adult. She was in her mid-20s. Uh, and she almost immediately, immediately, actually, there was no almost, immediately, she witnessed to her family. She was so excited. She was enamored with the gospel uh there is there are records to indicate that she was actually baptized by an apostle although she never mentioned which one uh she wanted to keep that humble uh because christ was the point not which apostle uh kind of reminds you of when paul talks about uh claiming i am an apollo i am of apollos and i am of saul uh fotini kept this uh, a secret because it's not known 
But yeah, she immediately witnessed to her family and won them to the Messiah. Now, this was already amazing because if any of you know where Sychar is, it's in Samaria. She was a Samaritan. So she, as a Samaritan, led her Samaritan family to believe in the Messiah and inspired them to evangelize with her. Soon, they became all recognized as tireless evangelists leading many in Samaria to believe in the Messiah. And as a matter of fact, many Samaritan Christians uh, nowadays, there, there are still some left, and they trace the lineage all the way back to those early believers. Chris, if we could go to the next slide. So let's talk about Fotini the missionary. Well, we talked about how up to this point, Rome had recognized Christianity as a Jewish sect. Uh, they just figured it was another part of Judaism and had left it alone. But by the time Nero came to power, he began to be suspicious that this wasn't indeed the case. He began noticing that uh, some Christians had been asked to leave the synagogues, that, uh, that there was seemed to be a difference here. And he started to hear the first testimonies of Christians and really started thinking, okay, this is something fishy, something's going on, and it's a new religion, and we don't like new religions. And so we started to see our first forms of Christian persecution, people being arrested for the faith, people being persecuted, people being uh, you know, told where they could or couldn't live, uh, anything from a, an unfair tax to a seizure of property. All these things basically started under Nero. And it was no different in Samaria, and it was no different in, in Israel uh, as these efforts began to take place here. But Fotini had done her job well. A lot of Samaria had come to belief in the Messiah. There were definitely still some holdouts. But her and her family had seriously evangelized uh, Samaria to the point of where she finally felt called to move elsewhere. And specifically, she felt called to the place called Carthage in North Africa. So without much ado, she took her family with her, her, her sisters and her two sons, Joseph and Victor, and they moved to Carthage, North Africa, which is just below Italy. And it was really no time at all before our Fotini faith uh, became known for evangelizing in her new locale. Uh, she was just as effective there as she had been in Samaria. And uh, her sisters, again, joined her. And her son, Joseph, also joined her. But Victor uh, became uh, engaged in a military career and basically started fighting for the Caesar and won various accolades and various promotions and was uh, very successful in the army. Uh, which led to a dilemma. If we could go to the next slide, please. So what was Victor's dilemma? Well, in short, as you can see there on the heading, he was given a new mission, and that was to hunt Christians. Okay, so now, now it's getting personal. Now it's, it's, it's coming, it's hitting close to home here. Uh, Nero put an order out to the army to start looking for Christians and to arrest them. And particularly, he wanted this done in Rome. So he called Victor to Rome. 
And uh, Victor's superior begged Victor to deny Christ, to submit to Nero. But by this time, Victor, remembering the valiance and the bravery of his own mother and remembering uh, her job as an evangelist, he very quickly returned to his evangelistic roots, even to the point of witnessing to his superior officer and his superior officer became a Christian. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, news of this reached Nero and Nero was quite angry about this and basically decided to detain Victor in Rome. He was going to lock him away. If we could go to the next slide. Fotini, aware of the, uh, obviously aware of the growing opposition, still bravely evangelized. And it was said that she was reported to have been given a vision that her son had been detained and was imprisoned in Rome. She also believed that she was being tasked by God to not only go and try and rescue her son or at least stand up for him, but to also confront Nero, who by this time was gaining more and more of a fearsome reputation. I know some of you have read the things that Nero did to Christians. Uh, you know, I don't need to repeat them here, but you know that they were quite terrible. So she was followed by her sisters who decided to accompany her and Joseph, her faithful son. And they went to Rome. And let me tell you, it didn't take long for people in Rome to hear that the great evangelist Fotini was in their midst. And it wasn't long before the army caught up with her and brought her and her family indeed in front of the emperor Nero himself. Nero didn't waste any time. He immediately demanded them all to renounce Christ. Okay. Uh, but uh, she stood there and they all took uh, their cues from her, seeing how brave she was. She refused, absolutely refused to deny Christ. And in turn, her relatives, her sisters and her son and Victor, who joined them, also refused to deny Christ. It was recorded also that uh, Nero, in a rage, ordered the soldiers to break the hands of the Christians, uh, of Fotini and her family. But records indicate that that was unsuccessful, whether it was incompetence by the soldier or miraculous intervention. Nero, by this time, is in a rage orders their imprisonment and orders the two men, Joseph and Joseph and Victor, to be blinded and locked up into prison. Fotini herself was also to be imprisoned. If we could go to the next slide. She was sent to be, uh, to be detained in the house of Nero's confidant, Domnina. That was Nero's wicked sister. She was quite the character, uh, quite trusted by Nero, um, and not one to be trifled with. However, uh, as we can see in the heading, Fotini, our Fotini slash Faith immediately resumes her evangelism. She did not give up. She was not put down. And she witnessed to Don, both Domnina and Domnina's servants, evangelized them all, and they all came to a belief in the Jewish Messiah. In fact, this gained such notoriety that a sorcerer in town decided that he wanted to take matters into his own hands and get rid of Fotini, and under a guise of truce, brought her some poisoned food, which 
and it's not recorded how, which she found out was poison. Uh, however, instead of rejecting him, she took him in and immediately evangelized him. And this sorcerer had a change of heart, and he too followed the Jewish Messiah and became a believer. Uh, and Fotini's influence was spreading among her family because the because her two sons in prison, Joseph and Victor, were witnessing too. And it was said that they won over much of the entire prison to faith in Jesus Christ. And what was more importantly was, even though they had been blinded, it was reported that their sight had returned. So that was quite interesting. Well, this was proved to be too much for our crazy Emperor Nero. Chris, if you could go to the next slide. Nero was enraged at his losses. And again, we're talking about a really unstable guy. Uh, he, he lost it. He went crazy with anger. He basically ordered the, exec and the executions of Fotini's sisters and her two sons. And sadly, that was done. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, you know, it was it was very, a very brutal affair, but uh, none of them would renounce their faith to the very end. And uh, all but Fotini was left, uh, all but, she was the only one left alive out of her whole family. Near hope that then she would relent, but she would not. And unfortunately for her, she was beaten and thrown into a well. He was hoping to break her spirit. He thought for sure he could get it. He was so mad at her defiance that he thought perhaps if he did this and then put her in a prison afterwards, so, so he released her only to imprison her again. They hoped that this would break Votini. So he called on her one last time and confronted her. And he thought for sure he had her. He thought for sure this time she was going to give in. And she did not. She basically looked at him and she said, I am not as blind as you and I am not as blind as the idols you worship and I will not renounce my Jesus Christ. Well, that was too much for Nero. He had had it with Fotini and basically threw her down the well one last time. And it was recorded that soon after she did, she did perish. It was said that she gave her soul up to God. And so Fotini did pass away, but the emperor Nero never had the satisfaction that he ever broke her. She was defiant to the last and the work that she had done, the evangelism that she had done was known throughout the ancient world, especially in the Eastern Roman empire. Uh, and if that's one of the reasons why you think you've never heard of her, which you actually have, and we'll find out about that in a moment, uh, that's one of the reasons why she was very popular in the early church and very popular in the East. Chris, let's go to that last slide. Let's talk about her legacy. So Fotini, our Fotini slash Faith, had unparalleled success in Samaria. She was probably the most successful missionary to the Samaritans. And she to try and outdo herself, she continued her work in Carthage and again, saved, got many, many people saved, many, many people turned on to the Jewish Messiah, which again, this is really wonderful considering she's a Samaritan, but she recognizes that the Jewish Messiah is the way to go. 
She set up an early example of standing for her faith against Rome. Many of our early brothers and sisters in Christ took inspiration from her example and were brave enough to stand against the Roman persecution. And as we mentioned, she resonated especially with the early believers. Uh, she was, her name was mentioned in some of the same breaths as the apostles. That's how popular she was in the ancient church. But uh, who was this Votini? Why was she, she so successful? Why was she so amazing? Well, this is where I'm gonna pull on my par, Paul Harvey for a minute and say who Fotini was, because she would be recorded by our historians as the very woman at the well that Jesus talked to, the very Samaritan woman who repented and gave her heart to the Lord. That was Fotini, and now you know the rest of the story. Chris, back to you. Thank you for listening to our FOI Equip podcast. Again, I want to remind you to go to foiequip.org and sign up to be on our mailing list. We'd love to see you at one of our free live online FOI Equip classes. Also, be sure to listen to our other podcasts like the Jew and Gentile podcast hosted by yours truly and Steve Herzig. Also, the Gesher podcast hosted by Ty Perry. You can find out more ways to get involved with the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry by visiting foiequip.org. FOI Equip is an outreach of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide evangelical ministry proclaiming biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah while bringing physical and spiritual comfort to the Jewish people. Hey, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you soon.